Hello, my name is Sarah and this is The Suplex. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Suplex Podcast. I am Sarah and I am your host for this afternoon, this evening, or whenever you're listening's festivities. Today's episode is with the twisted genius Dean Ayers. Now, Dean has been around the British wrestling scene for quite a long time now. And he's done it all. He's done refereeing, he's done wrestling, he's done emceeing, he's done commentary, but he's made his name really as a manager to several people who have gone on to do some great things. I'm not going to go on for much longer. I hope to see you all back here next week after listening to this one, because it's Easter next week. So I hope you'll get your Easter eggs that you want. So get your cup of tea, have a wee, make sure you're all ready, or get ready for that next bit of your run, and enjoy this episode with the twisted genius, Dean Ayers. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Suplex podcast here on In Your Ears on this fine Sunday afternoon, morning or evening, depending on when you are listening. Now, my guest this afternoon or today, shall I say, is the twisted genius Dean A.S. himself. Mr. A.S., welcome. How are you, sir? Hello. Thank you very much. I'm I'm doing okay. I'm hanging on in there as I think the rest of us are. You know, it's been... It's been a weird and crazy time for all of us. You know, the whole the whole world's had to live with with COVID, and you know, for those of us in the wrestling world, it's been over a year since we've done any shows. We've had all the um, you know all the stuff with, with with speaking out since then. We have not seen how how wrestling's going to come come back and change after that. So it's all a, a strange time to be to be around. But um, just looking forward to life getting back to normal, really. Mm, I can hear you on that. It's literally a, I'm a couple of days from a year from my last show. Mm. Now it, it, it's getting a bit, uh, feel a bit desperate now. I'm getting a bit twitchy handed. I'm getting. I want to want to pick that camera up and start shooting again, man. It, it's, yeah. it's getting a bit. It's getting a bit desperate now. Um, how how obviously we we you mentioned speaking out and you mentioned yeah. obviously the pandemic. How how what is your hope really for for the business moving forward? Like it, I, I've asked a couple of people this and. Obviously, someone who's been around for maybe a, a, a lot longer than a lot of people. Um, not saying you're old, because I've been around <laughs> about twenty years as well. Um, <laughs> well, this is fair to say. Well, yeah. Um, how how are you feeling? Obviously, off the back of the whole speaking out, and um, what, what's your hope, sort of thing, for moving forward in in British wrestling? Um, that's a very good question. I think. I think that it's it's um, opened our eyes up a lot to things. I think that the, out of everything, I would say I've learned don't don't assume that things are all right. And and I think I think now that if we have any any concerns about anything, any suspicions about anything, that people will be a lot more. Um, a lot more willing to to speak up, come forward, ask if everything is is okay, and um, and you know, and if everything is fine, then people won't take offence because they realise what what you're doing is is right. You know, there were 
there've been a few things that that it, that I've read about that you know would have happened around around shows and around times I was there and where mm. you sort of you just assumed that everything was was all right and I mean the other thing as well obviously you know people that I I thought I knew who clearly I didn't know would have acted very differently around me to to how they'd have acted around a, a vulnerable teenage girl for obvious reasons um mm. so yeah you you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily see that or or some people would be would be like a hide, hiding in plain sight as the saying goes that you don't you don't necessarily bat an eyelid um mm. i think i think the important thing that we need to remember with this is that this isn't going to st- stop people being um creepy weird sex offenders whatever you want to label them as 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 much as we'd like that to happen that's the same not just in wrestling that's the same in all walks of life you'll always Mm. unfortunately get that behavior i think what this this will will change is that that people will spot these problems people will be able to report these problems action will be able to take be taken and people won't won't be suffering in silence and perpetrators will be kicked out of the business basically mm. i think that's going to be the big the big difference um that yeah people's people's behavior is people's behavior unfortunately because that's human nature but what the the the, the way we deal with that is going to be different yeah no i i completely agree so obviously you know some I'm not going to name any stories or any people because obviously it's a big legal minefield and this is a very new podcast. I would rather not get sued people. Like I'm a nice person. I'm not exactly flush of cash. I'd rather not get sued, (laughs) but you know, um, some of the stories, like you said that you were about, I was about for some of them as well. And, you know, I, I sat there and I went through a, a a rack of um, guilt. It's like, what could I have done? Is there anything I could have done? And I've spoken to some of these people about, and they said, there was nothing that you could have done. There no. was nothing, you know, I, I didn't feel I could come to you about it, it because of the situation. I, I do not blame you in the slightest. Um, but the thing I think, which I will say for, and I will say this as sort of a compliment as well for yourself as in a sense, this will sound a bit backwards to some people, but um, you, you treat the business like in a way, same way as I treat the business. We treat it as a profession. It's a, we're professional people. We'll turn up, we'll do our job. We'll go home. We don't necessarily get involved in going out drinking or socializing or whatever. We're there to do a job and we're there to, um, we're there to to make sure the show runs on on time, efficiently, run yeah. well. It, put the I think maybe this is something that needs to happen in twenty twenty one and beyond. Put the professional back into professional wrestling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you yeah, what you said there. I I yeah, we we wouldn't necessarily be out partying with guys, but I think yeah, a lot of, a lot of that would be because. Um, you know, I've got a I've, I've got a day job to go to on a Monday mm. morning. So, like, if shows on a Sunday night, then I'll be going home. You know, I'm I've got a, a nice settled home life to go back to. It. You know, they're, they're other yeah. people's circumstances are, are different, but um, but yeah, it's 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 just um, 
I think there, yeah, there, there hasn't been the the framework around for people to to speak to speak mm. up to well, speak out. Hence the name bef- before. Um, I mean, there was again without naming names. There's 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 one person who who'd mentioned some things, and I remember seeing this person bef- at, at the venue before a show, just looking reasonably unhappy and you just assume that you know well, you, you don't want to go and for me at least I wouldn't want to go and start speaking to someone who's half my age because you then wonder what people might think but now you know now I think the things are different and now it would be I'm is everything okay I'm just looking out for you and you know it's as I said the yeah the the landscape has changed the nature mm. of of what of people's misdemeanors unfortunately won't but the landscape around it and and people being able to talk to speak up about something you know has has indeed changed yeah mm. good I, and for the better I I could only say it's got to be yeah it's got to be an improvement it's got to, it's got to be better for everybody and when although when we need a little bit of the kayfabe, shall we say, um, in terms of storylines and goodies and baddies. We need to completely rip the rip the veil of kayfabe off of horrible people, uh, and that's that's really that's really it. That's that is really the, the crux of it. Um, yeah, and and something that we've kind of talked about recently um, among ourselves has you know has been about that separation between the the wrestlers and the fans because i think that's where there there'd been a problem of people getting a bit too too close to one another and then there's that you know that there isn't that separation and and i always liken it to like if i I went to an arctic monkeys gig i wouldn't be hanging around at the o2 afterwards while they're taking the stage down because i want to try and meet alex turner it wouldn't you'd be Mm. cleared out of the venue and i think we need to be we need to be doing things like that just to Again, it's a professionalism thing. It's just to you know to keep that that divide between the 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 talent and the fans as such. But then we, we've also got the the situation now that people want to know about the person behind the character. Um, you know, I've just just this afternoon I was watching. There's that uh, a documentary about Big E on the WWE Network, and mm. and you know, and you think about it, how twenty odd years ago you nothing of the sort would ever happen where you, you know, you'd find out his real name, you'd find out about his background and, and his personal life and, and who he's friends with outside the ring. And, you know, that was unheard of, but now it's, it's completely on its head and people want to know about the individual. Then I wonder if maybe it needs to be, it's, it's having that in a controlled manner per se. Like I'm, I'm not just saying it as a, prom- a, a, a in the promoter's point of view to sort of go, yeah, let's make loads of extra money and whatnot. But um, like as you said, like the WWE, they're doing their the twenty fours and yeah. um, the three six fives. You're getting to learn a bit more about like you mentioned Big E, but like behind the person, that's in a very controlled manner. Whereas yeah hitting someone up on their dms on twitter to go oh hey hope you had a good day and da, 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 da. and maybe that barrier has to be broken like I, I i or i don't know it it's it'll come out in the wash and people will have some great ideas i think with yeah with it moving forward you know yeah. it, it's just as you said sarah you hit the nail on the head it's about being more professional i think we have to put mm. uh, i think it's something andy Gordon at revfro said you know we need to put the professional back into professional wrestling 
Mm, definitely, definitely. So speaking of professional wrestling, yes. and we will wind the clock back a, f- a few years, back to 1993. Yes. Where a, a young Mr. Dean um walked through a door of a particular wrestling school by the name yes. of NWA Hammerlock. Yes. Well, it, it was it was just plain old Hamlock School of Wrestling. Then the NWA hadn't hadn't come about till a few years, yeah, few fair few years later. This was mm. this was the Hamlock School of Wrestling, which was basically um, a garage perched on the edge of a cliff. Literally, it was like right on the edge Brilliant. of a cliff, and you yeah, you're thinking like one one gust of wind, and we we're tipping over. Um, but yeah, I went there with um, with a, a, a few people, include one one of whom was Muscles Mansfield, who's still around in the wrestling business, um, and um, we basically were were training with Andre Baker for about five five hours or so, and I. Uh, I you know, loved it. I was in the wrestling ring. Andre kept saying to us, have a break. And we we're like, no, this is brilliant. We're in the wrestling ring. Yay. And um, and then I remember waking up the next day in absolute abject agony and not being able to walk properly for the next five days or so. And I kind of realized, you know what, this isn't for me because I was never the most physical, physically gifted of people anyway. Um, so I kind of decided not to do that. But I was I carried on um I I carried on like keeping in touch with people trading tapes with people um and one of the people that i was in touch with uh, i know obviously things have have happened since then but one of the people was alex shane who um he then said that they were starting to run andre is starting to run some like trainee shows at the gym just to give people the experience of working a, a live match in front of an audience um would i like to be their ring announcer so i said yep that sounded great because I, I was i was much more comfortable with that than taking bumps so um i was the, the the ring announcer and then they started they branched out into doing shows um around kent and again i was a ring announcer for that so from the age of uh 17 when i started so probably mm-hmm. one of the youngest ring announcers going but yeah i started that and i was i was with hammerlock from 93 to 98 as a ring announcer 98 yeah just a a, a long that is a good old time um doing yeah. that um so when you said that your body aches because obviously i've done a few training sessions myself uh and i appreciate the aches but Try, try to try, try to sort of um, iterate that to someone who's never set foot in a wrestling ring before. Okay. Like the ache, it's a it's a special type of pain, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, the, the the first thing you ever get taught in a wrestling school is is how to break fall, um, which is basically you fall backwards onto your back, and you at the same time as falling and impacting on your back, you put your your arms out with your palms flat down on the floor uh, and you, you therefore your two palms and your back should hit the floor at the same time and what that does all it does is it evenly distributes the pressure of the impact around your body it still hurts and that that first bump takes your breath away because it is a real shock to the system and I remember reading um, someone saying once that um, I think it was like a, a doctor uh, in the medical profession. He said that um, each bump on the canvas is the same impact on your body as a, a 20 mile an hour car crash. Um, and about four or five years ago, I actually had a 20 mile an hour car crash. Someone went into the back of me in a residential road at around that. And 
And do you know what? I was like, yeah, that's pretty, it felt the same. And it had those same sort of aches. And it's just, a, it's just, a, I suppose, a stiffness and a, a, a lack of wanting to move in those muscles that you get. Yeah, because they've, they've had that bang, that, that impact to them. And it's just, they want to kind of be, be left alone to, to recover um, is, <laughs> is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. It's um, it, it certainly takes something special to be a wrestler to take those bumps day in, day out, I must say, but it wasn't for me. And then obviously the, the, the older rigs, um, the more, I'm going to just say old school and new school, yeah. like, you know, the older school rings, they weren't exactly the springiest in the world or the, the, the softest in the world. And and to be frankly honest, to those listening, because I, I know like obviously some people from my work and some of my friends are not necessarily hardcore wrestling fans mm. listen to this. A wrestling ring is not exactly a trampoline with a load of like mattresses on top of it. No. It's still it's wood. If you've got your blue gym mats on top of it from from old gym class on it, you're lucky and a canvas. But the older rigs were, were a special breed of stiff. Yeah, for, yeah. In, in comparison, yeah. I mean, as you say, big metal steel girders, a, a one one single big spring in the middle, um, and yeah, wood and a bit of plywood board and some occasionally a bit of foam mat on top. And I think the the thing was that when when we came into the business in the early to mid nineties. The business was really not doing very well at all. So there wasn't any money around. So promoters didn't want to spend money on renovating their ring. If it wasn't falling apart, if it lit- literally, if it wasn't breaking during the show, then it was good to carry on with. Exactly. Happy, <laughs> happy days. Yeah. It works. So, you know, if it ain't <laughs> yeah. broke, don't fix it. You know? Yeah, that's fair enough. So obviously you had your time in, in 93 to 98. What, what do you, would you say is one of your favorite moments that you can remember from your days in Hammerlock? Um, I think, I think the, the first time when we had, um, Adam bomb come over, we had, we were the first, promoters to really do what has since become almost the norm in British wrestling of bringing over a big name American um, and having them as the, the, the draw basically. Mm. Um, and we had, I remember we had Adam bomb come over and we, we had um, a lot of the poster was just spent basically telling people, this is the real deal. This isn't a fake or a tribute in the same way that we did for Jim Neidhart, I think. Um, because that was when Oreg was doing his tributes at the time. So, you know, we didn't want people confusing it with that. And I think, you know, just seeing this enormous guy come to the ring, but we, me and um, Doug Williams, we were driving him around. Um, and it was just that, it, that was sort of the first time we felt like proper wrestlers because we were talking to a guy who was a full-time wrestler and getting, you know, advice and, and stories and tips and whatnot from him. Um, and then Jim Neidhart, um, he was just such such a laugh such mm. a great laugh and we had um we had some some great times with him i remember um he was he was put up in um in a hotel um above was well, a and b above a pub in in ashford where andre lived and um 
there was this nightclub sort of down the hill from from where the pub was and uh andre just said to me and doug whatever you do don't tell jim about this nightclub we we, you know, we knew what his reputation was like we didn't want it. we wanted him in a fit state to wrestle the, each night so um yeah we we dropped him off at the hotel at the end of the first show and he asks us you know oh, do you know if, if there's any bars and clubs and we so doug and i just played dumb and we're like oh we don't live around here don't know sorry and left it at that picked him up the next afternoon to go to the next venue and uh, oh, did you sleep well jim he goes yeah yeah i found this nightclub down the hill <laughs> and, um, oh the, god <laughs> yeah and, and it just so happened that um the guy that was on the door um was someone who had trained at hammerlock um who, who therefore was a big wrestling fan and knew him and therefore let him let him into a nightclub on his own wearing a tracksuit and um yeah and uh so that was that was that um that plan up up the swanee but i do also remember him complaining to um to Andre, he said, oh, there's only one light bulb in my room. And Andre just said, you know, I don't tell everyone, Jim, they'll all want one. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, I, I just, uh, yeah. I, I'm still getting over this vision of, of Jim Neidhart walking down, down Ashford High Street in a, in a tracksuit, trying to get into a nightclub and being allowed in. Yeah, because- I, I sh- a shiny kind of black tracksuit with red Adidas stripes. Yeah. And, yeah. and no, no top, no top underneath, just, you know, zipped up to the, to the, to the waist sort of thing yeah yeah guys just a note now if you're trying to get into nightclubs after lockdown i know tracksuits have been everybody's <laughs> friends it ain't gonna work like just a spoiler you ain't getting in like yeah, unless definitely. we do the tracky night at some nightclub it ain't gonna happen is it so <laughs> oh mate i just got this vision i just got this vision now i can see it now but um obviously you did hammer lock from uh 98 onwards but obviously yeah. in it's been a few years now, unfortunately, but we did. Uh, Andre has passed on. Yes. Um, what did Andre mean to you? He opened the door, basically, because he, um, the the wrestling business was a closed shop before them. And he uh, and it's it's hard to imagine now because there's you know there's so many training schools out there um, that you can yeah you, know, you can just go go on to to Google put training schools in your area and find somewhere but before then and and I knew this from experience from trying to you know asking people at my local shows you know how do I get into the business and they would always give you some kayfabe kind of answer and not really tell you much and this was where the the door was open um, so. If it wasn't if it wasn't for him, who who knows if I'd have ever got into the business? And you know, you can say the same for people like Adam and Doug and Justin Richards and um, Finn Balor, Fergal, uh, and Becky Lynch and and Nikita and so many other people. You know, all of that stemmed from Andre. Um, and you know, some of the things he taught us because he uh, he t- towards the end he sort of trusted trusted us to run a few shows as, as part of our sort of experience. Yeah, he'd he'd still be there, but he would like let yeah we me and um, Mike White, the the referee who's now a um, now a radio presenter in Humberside. He he and I were still great friends to this day. And yeah, we would put these shows together with him, and he'd let you make a mistake and see the impact of that mistake and learn from it. Um, you know, big things and little things. Um, he was he was tough to please, but if you did please him, you 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 knew it and you knew why. And um, you know, it it was. And I think 
I think I, I grew up as a, a person as well. Um, because I, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say I had a, like a sheltered upbringing by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, yeah, it was a nice, it was a, a nice sort of comfortable kind of life. And, and, you know, you sort of saw the, the rough edges of life a bit more and it made me a more round, well-rounded person, I think. Mm. It's such a shame that, 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 that tribute show um, that happened for him, that was a, emotional night i got some photos from that and i was backstage doing um some photos um but it's such a shame that the foot what happened with the footage i i, I has anyone oh. actually got the footage for that show i think someone someone has i don't know who somebody has it i don't i i can't i think i can't remember why it never got no why it never got released and i can't remember who's got it um but I mean, there was a tremendous match. Uh, I think first and only time they've ever wrestled each other between Pri- uh, Prince Devitt, as he was then known, and Zack Sabre. Mm. Um, Actually, got the ref but, that I remember that. Yeah, there's ref, and me and me and Mike got to do a couple of skits and stuff. And yeah, it was mm. it was a great night. Um, it was a great night, but um, I don't know what happened to the footage. No, because I really love to see that footage because I had to I had the opportunity because it was either going to be Chris filming it and me taking photos or like because of obviously his knowledge or Chris ref in the show. Mm. And then obviously the battle match, well, what was um, Prince Devitt match was on there. And it was obviously Devitt Sapp, Xavier Jr. And I got the, please, 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 please. Can you, can you, uh, <laughs> can you do the filming? And I would love to see that footage back because I took one for the team that night. I was like, yeah. oh, mate, those photos were sort of like uh, Rob, love, the lovely Rob Brazier I know was also yeah. ringside that night. So he's got the, the photos, um, but it was like, I wanted to take photos of that match, <laughs> but it is what it is. But we'll see. It'll be it'll be uh, un, un, unearthed at some point. Oh yeah, it'll, it'll find light. It'll see the light of day somehow, somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah, mm, def- definitely. So obviously, you, you you said that your introduction to the business was with the hopes, aspirations, and dreams of being a wrestler, but then it hurt a lot. Um, so <laughs> yeah. then you <laughs> went into MCing. And then you became the twisted genius. Yes. How did you become a manager? Please explain that to us. Because to be honest with you, and I'm going to say this, I'm not just saying this to you as my friend, but you, in my opinion, are one of the best managers this country has ever had, Grace It Shores. And if anyone has has a young wrestler that you've got the talent there, but hasn't necessarily got their developed their own mouthpiece yet you need to get someone like Dean in there to bring them on because that is the per, in my opinion, the purpose of a good manager. Think of the managers over the years. They're there as their mouthpiece. They're there to bring them forward. And how did you become a manager? How did that come about? Well, I, I had, um, I'd had a break from the wrestling business because I was trying at that time. I'd, I'd finished university and while I was at university, I set up a, a radio, student radio station um, and I was trying to get into uh, radio. Um, I got very, very close. Actually, there was, there was, um, there was one job in, in London and I know I I discovered I got I got shortlisted to the last two. It was literally mm. me and one other person, and and the other guy got it. And I believe he's still a, a DJ to this day. But I was I, I basically was doing that at weekends, and therefore you know couldn't do that and the wrestling. So generally speaking, was was just you know did did that. Um, 
and then I, I I was still going to like local shows when I you know when I could, especially in Worthing. And I got I I um I met a few people that were regular fans then, became friendly with them, and then they told me about this promotion called the FWA, which I'd, I'd sort of read about in magazines, but that was about. And I saw that there were a few ex Hamlock people that I I knew that were there, um, and they they took me along to uh what would it have been No Surprises Three at Portsmouth at the Pyramid Centre. Oh. Wow, um, mm. which would be 2001, and um, I I got there, and even just sitting down, the initial the initial impression was like wow, because bear in mind all the Hammerlock shows that I'd done, we just had the ring, we didn't have any barriers, we didn't have any entranceways, you literally stepped through a door. That wasn't how wrestling was done back then. I came to this show and there are guardrails, there was like a big WWE style ladder, because I think they had a ladder match on at the show. There was a proper entranceway and a ramp and I'm like, wow. And I remember watching this show and falling back in love with wrestling again. And then um, I... I emailed um I emailed Elazar, I believe. I think I got mm. his email off of off of um somewhere online. I my memory is hazy, but I basically emailed him and said, Would you be interested in um having me come on board on uh, to do something? And the actual plan was for me to be a commentator, but he said, um I think they're already they'd already got like some TV that they'd done and they'd got a commentator. They said, "What we'll do is we'll bring you in as a manager briefly, just to establish you as a heel." Because I'd never worked as a heel before; I'd always been the clean cut MC. Mm. So yeah, we'll bring you in as that, and then once once that's been established for a few shows, we'll we'll transition you into commentary. And the managing went so well that I never transitioned into the commentary, basically, <laughs> um, apart from that one show on, on Revival, which was Tommy Boyd's show. Mm. Um, and, and it, yeah, so that's, that's how it happened, basically. It was just, you know, it was, it was one of those classic situations of a, something that was meant to last for a couple of shows that lasted for years. And who was your first, um, who was your first person you managed then in FWA? Justin Richards. Justin Richards, um, we Justin do love Justin. Richards, who, who remains, I mean, I've, I've loved working with so many people, but if if I if you said to me I, I, I could only ever work with one person for my career, it would have been Justin. We had so we had such good chemistry because, you know, I'm still in touch and we're good friends to this day. We had such good chemistry. We knew where each other was without having to talk. Um, and we had a knack of just winding people up to the point that I mean we had especially for for when we did we'd do academy shows in, in FWA in Portsmouth because he he'd helped with the training and we basically did the same match for a year but it worked because it would basically be where I would annoy the babyface and the referee so much to the point that eventually the the babyface would turn their back to have a go at me and then Justin would get the crossface chicken wing on and win by submission and that literally that happened every single match. Brilliant. But we made it work and it was believable because we were such annoying pricks that it was like, well, no wonder you've lost your concentration. Um yeah. so it's all, yeah, and and it, it meant that we would win, but the 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 trainee that he was facing wouldn't lose face because 
no one blamed them for what had happened. So they, they stayed mm. strong themselves. Um, so yeah, he was the first person. And, and then that transitioned into the, the old school faction, mm. um, which was, which was Justin and there was, um, Robbie, uh, although he then split from the old school, um, Flash Barker and dear old Drew. McDonald's. Yeah, Drew. Drew McDonald's. Learned, learned so much from him as well. So, you know, mm. so much. And I think a, a lot of it as well, and, and you'll know this just from, from being a fan and then being involved in the business yourself, that you absorb so much subconsciously and you don't even realise it. Because I'd be doing things at ringside and thinking, where the hell does that come from? And then I thought, oh, yeah, so-and-so did that before. Or you take a little bit of Paulie Danger, a little bit of Bobby Heenan or whatever and and, and do that. But um, even now, you know, I look. I, I, someone put the whole FWA back catalogue online and I've, I've watched a few bits back. And even then I'm cringing, thinking, oh, God, I could have done that so much better. So you, you're always you know, learning things. You stop learning. You're stopping trying. You just got to carry on. You got to keep learning these days. Absolutely, hundred percent. But um, the old school that was a stable, and it had some cracking entrance music as well. Oh, that was... lovely! Yeah, Ralph Cardell, Rusty music. Um, Rusty, yeah. And that—that's something I think, especially with now with 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 all copyright things being you know being um, front and center. I think you know there, there's a few people around that do customize entrance music, and I, I think that's something that promotions should really get on board with that was one of the big things that separated fwa from others was the entrance music because yeah it was the fw entrance music and it was it felt different it felt special um and i think you know you look at you look at like ecw and how they used not obviously copyrighted music but how they used music to to give themselves an identity there you know paulie was fantastic at that um so yeah we had great music and and the whole storyline was embedded in a little bit of truth, and that's you know the best storylines out there because originally there was this um, this reluctance to accept the new school workers by the old school guys mm-hmm. because you know they had been on the TV, they had lost TV, the business was down. And and they were kind of fighting for their spots and were resentful that you know other people were trying to come up and take those spots. But that's how you know wrestling and ev- any other business has always evolved. Mm-hmm. And um and we you know and I think over time they they came onto these shows and they actually realised that you know they're they're doing things properly here and it's just a bit more Americanized than they remembered. But you know we got the we got the acceptance of people and and then through through having people like drew as a regular we were then able through his connections to get people like well we got in um dave taylor for a show we got obviously terry funk for a show um robbie got kendo cash in in for a show so we're able to get these different guest stars in through those connections awesome drew mcdonald great he's a great man and such a character um What's your favourite memory, Drew? I'll, I'll share mine in a minute. But what is your favourite memory, of Drew? Um, it has to be. Um, we were doing the show in um, where in Hertfordshire, and the it was Drew. I was managing Drew against Hayd Vanson, um, and the the stipulation was if 
Drew lost, then he had to leave the FWA. There was they, they'd put this stipulation: any members of the old school lost their matches that night, they'd have to they'd have to go. Um, and the finish of the match was that um, Drew had been put in what I would now know as the six one nine position, draped over the ropes. And Robbie Brookside, who had left the old school and was feuding with Drew, he'd come out. Um, he was facing him, and I crept up behind Robbie with a chair. I would then go to swing for Robbie. He'd move out the way. I'd crack Drew in the head. Drew falls backwards. Hayde comes off the top with a, a splash or something and gets the pinfall, and Drew loses. So I've got this chair. Bear in mind, as, well, we've we've already established I am I am not the most physically gifted of people. Anyway, I've never swung a chair in my life to my memory at this point, and I'm thinking this is the finish of the match. This is the finish of Drew's career in the FWA. Um, I cannot. Um, am I allowed to? Uh, am I allowed to use bad language on this? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. I cannot fuck this up. I just cannot. So I basically swung and I legitimately hit, and bear in mind, this is before we knew about really about concussions and stuff like we do now. I swung back and I just legitimately hit Drew in the head with a steel chair as hard as I possibly could. And he falls backwards and the whole, and the finish goes to plan. And so I've gone from good, that didn't look shit to, oh my God, I might've killed Drew. So I then get back in the ring and I'm like, oh, you know, hands on head. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Drew is lying on the on the floor. I, I'm looking down on him with that big trademark grin of his. And he just goes, good chair shot, bud. And I'm like, thank God for that. So um, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I, I help him up and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And and while he's while he's still holding my hand because I've sort of helped him up and I'm I'm shaking hands like I'm so sorry, without saying any words, we just look at each other and we know we've we've got to do something. We can't leave it at that. And he just I just feel him pull me in and he pulls me in and nails me with a short clothesline and I take a bump and you know. And when we got to the when we get to the the back, I think I've got, I'm on another match in a couple of matches time. So like I, when I come out for that next match, I'm holding my neck and I'm still selling it because, you know, you've, you've got to sell these things. People seem to forget that these days, but that's, you know, and, and people on the show, wrestlers on the show were like, you're right. He bloody he walloped you with that. And the truth was, and this happened on more than one occasion with dear old Drew, he didn't touch me. He literally, he, he got within like you know, a, a millimeter, but he never touched me. And it was just like his movement and my bump and that, but it was that ability to, to just communicate just by looking, looking at each other into it, looking into each other's eyes. You know what I mean? Um, just looking at each other and realizing we got to do something and bang, calling it. Mm. And yeah, that was one of my, that was easily my favorite memory with Drew. Brilliant. I'll share mine, Drew. I was very green to the business. It's probably my second ever show. And I decide to go down to Southampton to see the lovely Chris Hatch. And he says, we're going to a wrestling show. And, All right, cool. Excellent. Because I'd not long been to Revival. That was my first ever show. Yes. And yep. um, my second show 
was for Scott Conway's promotion, TWA. Mm-hmm. And Chris says, let's go, let's go to the show. Like we've got we're gonna be driven there, it's gonna be cool. Got make them, but there's a me jumping the in the van with like uh flatliners gonna go and a few other people. I was like, okay, cool. Um, where's the show? Hastings. So I've gone from Kent <laughs> to Hampshire <laughs> to Hastings for this show. Yeah, so you're kind I of going just gone in from this Kent. V shape, yeah. Yeah, I could have just gone from Kent. But anyway, by the by, I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm obviously, I don't know everything about the business and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm still at that. I know it's predetermined and I, mm-hmm. I know that, but I don't know how much. And Chris at the time is doing a little bit of filming, just like he's a little eight um, mil camera, like just doing some um, backstage stuff. And there's some cracking pictures of him in this shirt. And oh, I'll, I'll share them with you another time. Yeah. Um, and I'm holding this video camera and Chris is interviewing Drew backstage um, for this show. And it's the one time I've forgotten, hang on a minute, this is this is not, this is real now, shit. And Drew does this, like, get out of my way, promo sort of the Chris, you get that camera in my face, like proper full, England sucks, Scotland rules, sort of pro, full-blown promo. Yeah. And I'm just standing there at about 15, 16 years of age, shitting myself (laughs) while Drew leashes fury down this camera. And then he stops. He goes, it's okay. It's like, I'm just like, holy shit. What have I just witnessed? And it was the first time I actually, knowing the the difference. And I think it's the first time I would sort of bang. I actually get what's going on. And, um, I understood the psychology of the business. That was the first time, and that was Drew McDonald. And yeah. every time I met him, big hug, big smile. How you doing? You know, like that, yeah. that gruff voice of his. And it was, it, it, it's a shame. It was, it, it was a shame for Drew. But he's, 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 uh, he's opened the doors for a lot of people as well. Yeah, and, and you know, we lost him what six years ago, and the fact we're still talking about him so fondly, it you know, it goes to show he's, he, he, they never. People never truly completely go. Exactly, exactly. So obviously, moving on from the old school, you have that wasn't your only team or only person that you managed in the FWA. No, um, there were a few others, um, and obviously you had sticks and uh, sticks and stone as a tag team, which yep. was Martin Stone and Sticks, um, and obviously Terry Funk. If you don't know Dinaeus, he managed Terry Funk. He mentions it every so often, you know, thinks he gets away with it. Um, and then you had Paul Birchill. Yeah, Birchill was straight after the old school. I mean, obviously we had a, we had a few months gap, but yeah, that, that then I went on to managing Birchill, yeah. Now, that's when I remember you. Um, that is, from yeah, that is what time. most people, if, if anyone, mm. if anyone like um, – spots me at a, a show or you know out and about somewhere and they're a wrestling fan that is the thing that they all mention generally is Paul Birchill. Mm. Mr. Birchill and Mr. Ayers have take no responsibility for any broken, any broken bones. bones. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly see it, this is sort of uh, it shows you the longevity of of that sort of thing like I know I'm a bit of a wrestling nerd but I can still remember that catchphrase. I can still yeah. remember um that H- how how was it like Paul's a, a great dude, but how was it like seeing his career develop sort of so close like, as his manager, really? 
Well, I mean, just just to go back to that catchphrase, it it, it goes to show. In fact, the whole the whole thing, everything we did, the, the, the two of us in the FWA, goes back to what I tell people when I'm doing like seminars and stuff. It is repetition, repetition, repetition. It is doing the same thing every time so that people get used to it people can act along with it sing along with it whatever it might be Mm. um you do the same thing and although it might seem boring for you because you're doing the same thing every night or every time you're out there it it works because that's what people grasp onto um so the thing with paul yeah i mean i i remember seeing him at, at fwa academy events and i'm just i remember when when um when the old school finished i i said um whoever it was that was booking at the time, I honestly can't remember now, but I said to whoever was booking, have you got any plans for him? Because I think he's tremendous. So I could really work with well with him. And, um, and so they, you know, they put us together because, you know, what you were saying earlier about having a, a mouthpiece. Yeah. He, he was basically, he had the, he had the skills of the tools that was just needing to, to put them together. So, I was put with him a to talk because Paul looked like a monster, but, in reality, he was a very polite, very softly spoken bloke from Guildford in Surrey. He played rugby and was quite a bit po- you know, was a bit posh, really. And so it didn't fit the image. So we just said, he will never speak. Literally, yeah. he won't speak. I'll do all the talking for him. He'll growl. Um, and also, I was, you know, I'd be able to help him put the matches together. I mean, initially, they're you know, just spots rather than you know just it was a squash it was a spots but then obviously as time went on things changed but you know i was there to help put the matches together or help if he got lost or stuck which he never ever did um if you watch the um his debut at um is it uprising two i think he debuted at um mm. against double dragon there's um there's a spot just before he does he does this spectacular dive over the buckles and over the ring post onto the floor yep. Just before there, if you look, um, he pokes his head through the ropes on the opposite side of the ring and I slap him in the face. And that was because he said to me, slap me in the face, I need psyching up because he was shitting himself about doing that move. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, bang, bang. But, um, but generally speaking, I mean, I, I outlived my usefulness in that partnership quite early on, which is a credit to Paul for how good he was just naturally good and it was clear to see i mean from talking to him anyway and you know it, we knew that his his goal was to get to the wwe that's what he wanted yeah. or wwf was it no it was wwe by then um that was what he wanted to do um and so what you know we always focused on was okay work to cameras because that's what the wwe do um you know they're they're their main thing is 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 about the TV product. So you know, we made sure he was working to cameras. We made sure he was doing things to the hard cam side and all this sort of stuff, um, and and just projecting the character that he wanted to project and stuff like that. And um, and and yeah, so he you know he had the the physical gifts. The interesting thing was you know in the UK scene and in our sixteen by sixteen rings, he looked enormous when he went to the WWE in a 20 by 20 ring with other guys, the same size and much bigger than him. He kind of looked like a, an average size guy. He's, mm-hmm. um, he, he, you know, there are certain people like Jack Swagger and Billy Gunn that are deceptively big and you don't realize until you see them in person. Billy Gunn's tall. Yeah. He's a tall dude. 
yeah, you don't notice until you see them on the TV, just the, the dimensions of things. So, so, um, so yeah, I was really pleased with, for, for him. I mean, we, we kept in touch up at, uh, we kept in touch actually up till the point where he got his call up. Um, because I remember the last thing, the last message I ever got from him was, um, was that he said, Oh, he's having a tryout and it was him and, um, I can't remember if it was Juice or Domino, but it was the one that was Jimmy Snooker's son um, hmm. that he was having a match with. And obviously that went well and he got called up and, and the rest is, is history as it was. I do. How, how do you feel his utilisation was in WWE? Do you think, like, because obviously I know he had the, um, obviously Nikita obviously went had her opportunity yeah. in, and they put the pair of them together at one point in the brother sister uh, yes. relationship and then we had Paul the pirate yeah yep um do you really think that they actually gave him an op- the the right opportunities over there no no i mean i completely understand why they put him with Regal and with Taylor to start with because you know, mm-hmm. you've got a fellow countrymen who know what it's like to come over to the US from the UK. They know how that WWE system works. You know, they are the perfect people for him to go to, to be alongside, to learn from and to settle in with. But I think if they, you know, he, he was doing these, these ridiculously athletic moves um, which were very kind of fashionable at the time as well. And I, I think had they, they, they could have had him as almost like the, the, this hired killer for for Regal and Taylor that, you know, he'd be mm. in the tag matches, he'd come in, he'd do his big spots, he'd get out again and, and just build things up from there. And I think mm. had they done that, then he would have really captured people's imaginations, especially as, you know, ladder matches and multiple person matches were really taken off at that time. Mm. Um, and I, I think that, that they, they didn't, they didn't necessarily seem to know what to do with him. I mean, it was, it was Tommy dreamer that actually signed him up. Um, mm. he was in talent relations at the time and he was sorting all the visa out and the visa was taking ages but then I, I guess there's the this is the, the thing with a, a you know a big corporation like WWE and that they Tommy Dreamer signs him up. Vince likes what he sees, but then Vince doesn't really know what to do with them, and it's not it's down to Vince as to what happens. And so, yeah, it didn't really um, it, it didn't really help him. The the pirate gimmick was fun and it was memorable, but you you use that for someone who who needs things hiding. Um, you know, yeah. whose who's weaknesses need hiding. Paul had Paul didn't have many weaknesses to me. He had strengths that needed accentuating. Mm. Um, and had I, I think the the perfect place for Paul would have been ECW ten years previously. Basically, he was just in the wrong yeah. place at the wrong time. I think had he gone to ECW, uh, you know, had he been born ten years earlier and everything, you know, he, the, the ECW crowd would have loved those big spots that a guy that size did. But he was just to me, he was wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, and anyone who hasn't seen it, obviously, pop on YouTube, look at the FWA stuff back in the day. The best thing I could compare it to in terms of the the partnership between Dean and Paul was very much the um, a previous version of what Paul Heyman does for Brock Lesnar. That yeah, is, it was is the personification of what I can I can see it. Um, and you got a mouthpiece 
a very similar vein to what Paul Heyman can yeah, do. It, yeah, it, it was a, yeah, an inexperienced wrestler with amazing physical gifts with yeah, a, a, a mouthpiece and a, a bit of guidance. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, virtual. You obviously we do mention one name. We think I did think I got get away with it, but I didn't. Which is Terry Funk. How did <laughs> yeah. that happen, man? <laughs> um, I just got told by um Alex one day. Oh, we're we're getting Terry Funk in. Um, we're basically and because we'd been building this feud up between me and Greg Lambert and our respective people so it was this was yeah with me with Birchill and um Paul Travell had been with Greg and they turned on him and it was it was Drew and Thunder Darren Walsh um mm. and then oh Raj Ghosh who was another member a former member of the family it was sort of a break after the yeah. family stable had broken up and um and so basically um me and Paul Birchall and Paul Travell all had a common enemy in, in Greg and his stable. So it was like three on two and we needed a third person. And yeah, I just got told one day, oh yeah, we're bringing Terry Funk and he's going to be on your team. And I'm like, shit, okay. And um, yeah, so um, I just, obviously you go along with it. You're like, wow, this is amazing. So um, so yeah, I was very pleased with, with that. It was just a, a kind of, it was one of those, you know, random random signings that they'd made for one show and it was like well here's how we can fit him in so it was basically um we had the the storyline that i had i had recruited him i'd i'd used my contacts um in mm. reality as i said it was true but yeah you know, i'd used my contacts around the wrestling world to uh to to bring in terry funk because you know you you the, your um break break glass in emergency bit of assistance Mm, mm. And how how did that match go? How was that match? Oh, it was an absolute clusterfuck. <laughs> it <was laughs> terrible. It was it was all over the place. It was just a sick. It, it was a bit of a brawl. It was yeah. It, it wasn't a it wasn't a classic, should we say? But it was damn good <laughs> fun. It was it was really good fun to um to just be there and you sort of pinch yourself watching yeah you you you're stood right next to Terry Funk and you're doing your catchphrase with him and that yeah it was crazy but but um the the most fascinating thing with that was in the dressing room beforehand he you know when we were talking to him when he arrived he, he was he was an absolute pro absolute sweetheart and he was he was just like. Your, your granddad from Texas, basically. He was just like a really nice, sweet old guy. And then um, he gets changed into his wrestling tights and he um, clears a space in the dressing room and, and lays, he has like a, a big beach towel, puts his towel down on the floor and then sort of starts doing a couple of sit-ups and crunches and, and stretches and things like that. And while all this is going on, you can see his face and most importantly his eyes change mm. and it was right before my eyes i am witnessing this transformation from terry funk kindly grandfather to middle-aged and crazy terry funk that we all know mm. and and he gets into this zone and the knee pain goes and he's walking to properly and he's and and uh, the whole the whole match he was like in in this completely enveloped in this character because even when he was on his tag rope i was i I could hear and no one else could hear this because apart from 
me and the tag partners because no one else was close enough. But under his breath, he's going, let me in, let me into those motherfuckers. I'll kill them. And he's like talking to himself and psyching mm. himself up in character. And like, even at the end of the match, I went to shake his hand and he's kind of looking at me like, and I, I genuinely didn't know if he was going to like shake my hand or punch me or what. And I was just prepared to go with, with anything. And then mm. after the match, um, I don't know if you ever, you were ever backstage at the, the Coventry Sky Dome, but there's like mm. a huge, behind the curtain is a huge area before you get to the dressing rooms. And he was like on his own, way over on the, uh, on the corner, just leaning on a, on a rail, um, staring at the floor. And it was obvious to me I could, that he was coming down out of middle-aged and crazy in back into his, his normal self again. It was this, this trans, transformation back, um, which I heard Vader was very similar, apparently. He, he was a similar sort of situation when he was in his mm. prime. But it was amazing just to see how, how he, he literally threw his entire self into his character during that match. That's amazing. That must have been amazing to see and sort yeah. of be round as well. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 again, you, you learn so much from just from just looking at that. I mean, um, I remember um, Barry, um, charming Don Charles, Mm. he volunteered to like drive him from um, Heathrow airport up to Coventry and back. And he did that very deliberately because he learned so much in those hours talking with Terry Funk, basically. I've had many a car journey with many a various wrestler, um, airport pickups and various other things. And just, you know, especially the, um, I won't say the fun ones, but, the ones I'd say you'd care more, they're not just here for a pay packet, if that makes sense. Yeah. They want to tell their stories. They want to pass on their knowledge and skills. They want to, you know, they want to teach the next generation. And like, even mm. as a photographer, I've sat there and listened in car journeys about psychology and, uh, oh yeah, this story happened. And then this person and they were there. And as a result, this happened. And, you know, you learn so much just by listen, listening to yourself. If you're a trainee listening to this and someone turns around and says to you in the future when the world has opened up again and the imports come in, um, I'm looking for someone to come pick up so-and-so from the airport, any volunteers, stick your hand up. Yes. If you've got a car and you can drive, stick your hand up and volunteer. If it's a good promotion – they will pay you your expenses. They'll pay your parking. They'll pay this. If you need to go get them a coffee, a tea or whatever, they'll do it for you. They'll make sure you looked after, but take the opportunity to be that driver and to listen to those stories and pick yeah. their brains, that knowledge, because it's only in their brains. It's not in a book that they can pass you. There you go. That's my, that's my journey. That's you need. Everything you need to know is in this book. You know, it's, it's the only way you'll, they'll think of you the next time. They'll ask for you. I've had people ask for, oh, that guy who picked me up the last time, can you come? Can you get him to pick up? Because yeah. they want to talk to you. They want to learn and not be your yeah. friend, but they, they trust you. Yeah. And that goes a long and, way. And it's like one, I remember one of the things that we, that we were taught, well, that was mentioned to us by Terry Funk. And it's something I, I, I think it's in his book as well, but it's something that sticks in my mind really is that, he said, any time that you are the heel, and obviously he was a tremendous heel for, for many promotions, 
he mm. said in and again this is you know throwing your yourself entirely into the character he said anytime you do anything as the heel you must feel in your own mind that it is entirely justified mm. even if it isn't even if it's complete rubbish you have got to be convinced that it is and then put that put that across in what you do so you know yeah. if, if you're if you're handcuffing someone to the bottom rope and smacking them 10 times with a chair it might be the worst thing in the world you can do but you've got to be doing that with a mind of there's a reason a, a valid reason why i'm doing this to you Mm-mm. you mentioned charming don charles yes the lovely barry Again, someone to look up, guys. If you if you haven't seen managers in my, it's it's Dean and and Barry. They're the top two in this country, in my opinion, um, from the last 10, 20 years in Brett Rest. As Charmed on Child, you said about re, um, repetition and mm. doing things for a reason. Um, Barry used to have a cane, and he used to tap that cane like that. No, this pick it up in the audio, but literally tap, tap, yeah. tap. Tap and literally, it was that was his that was his thing, and also one of his team charming things. There's no eye in charming. Where one's obviously going to go? There is an eye in charming. It's in the name, of course. There's an eye, and that used to annoy people uh, so much when he was doing that for SAS wrestling um, back in the day. So that you know, definitely look these educate yourself, people in the history of Brit rest. It will it will be fun. It's honestly it's good stuff. Um, so obviously you said you've had a few matches. I remember one that you did for HEW back in yes, the day with the your t-shirt yeah. that literally typical heel Dean Ayers style t-shirt, which I think I turned into a gif at some point. Um, <laughs> you for did, you. Yeah, um, I am. Yeah. On the front, it said, I am genius. And on the back, it said, you are scum. There you go. Yeah. Simple that as. Was, he- uh, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> getting that uh, printed, <laughs> getting the t-shirt printed. This yeah. is what I want. But yeah. I think this is the same show that someone smacked Sarit Saraya in the back with a handbag and it had a brick in it. Oh God. <laughs> I swear that was yeah, it was the same show. I do remember that. And um, but you've had a few matches, and that was obviously against the well, was that against that the with was, the UK Pitbulls? No, it was Sticks and it was meant to be Martin Stone, but I can't remember something happened, he couldn't make the show, and we had Sam Slam instead against it. the Pitbulls. I I had managed the Pitbulls and then turned against them basically. Mm, mm, mm. So you've had a few matches such as that. So your wrestling training did come in handy at, at, at points. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had four four matches. I had a singles match as a babyface ring announcer against Johnny Storm in Hammerlock in '97, which mm. was like a ten minute singles match that I like trained for three months and have never been fitter in my life for that. That was. Mm. That was um, an idea that Andre had that fortunately I went along with. Um, and then the other matches have all been like handicap tag matches as the heel manager. So a three on two with me mm. as the third person. Um, so yeah, I had that that one in, had that one, oh, I had a tag match in, in FWA. And then I had a three on two match in Premier in Worthing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So obviously you've had a few matches. Have you had, obviously, because being a manager, you'd assume maybe you'd have a couple of bumps or yes. like, especially being a heel manager. Have you had many injuries along your time? And if so, um, what? I, I've i been lucky in that I've never had any bad physical injuries. Um, 
as far as taking bumps goes, um, I've I've actually got a um, I'm working my way through. A, I've got a, a partial tear of my rotator cuff at the moment, which is nothing to do with wrestling whatsoever. It's just one of those things that's happened over the years. But um, the only thing that I I have had sort of that's affected me has been um, I've had five concussions in my life, three of which have been from wrestling. The other two have just been from being a clumsy buffoon, basically. But um, apparently after after three concussions, you start to have permanent brain damage, which isn't a good sign for the future. But um, my memory is terrible. My short-term memory is is awful. My other half says I don't remember things from one day to the next. Um, so, yeah, I, I even like at work, I have to write things down there and then otherwise I forget and set mm. reminders for things I, I have to take medication every day for my diabetes I have to set a reminder on my phone to remind me to take them um the 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 own the the worst injury in that respect was from uh an FWA show quite early on in Acton where I was managing mm. Justin against Johnny Storm and Johnny hit me with a chair and when you hit someone with a chair, again, this was hitting me on the head, which we don't do anymore, but we didn't know at the time. Um, you should basically hit someone. And the moment you strike them, you pull the chair away again. So I'll sort of try and get it picked up on my mic. So you, what you should get is a sort of a, just a very short, sharp boom. And then you take yeah. it away. And what he did on this occasion was rather than taking the chair away, he basically like followed through like a you know baseball sh- swing. Ouch. So uh, yeah, and and I think nothing malicious. It was just the the adrenaline, I think, you know, mm. and, or whatever. And and um, and I just remember being clobbered with that. And fortunately, I was I was a passenger, not a driver, on that occasion. So I, I didn't um. I didn't, but I'm told that I was wandering. There's like, we apparently we visited an, an all night Tesco's and I was wandering aimlessly around the fruit and veg section of there. And apparently my mate says one of the funniest things he's ever seen, but I don't really recall that very well. Yeah. Um, and, and I just remember a few days, I, I lost, basically I, I lost my short term memory for about three or four days. Wow. Um, and the, the one thing that, Uh, The strange thing with this is I remember this because I think it just shocked me so much. I remember it was a Monday night and I was going to the pub for something or other, um, which involved a bus bus ride into Brighton. So I basically, from my house, walked down the the hill, past a parade of shops to the seafront to get a bus into Brighton. And while I'm waiting for the bus, I thought, oh, I wanted to get some money out. So I wandered back up sort of halfway up the hill to the cash point, took, took, um, took some cash out and then put the cash in my pocket and felt in my hand that there was already some cash there. And I'd literally taken some cash out five or 10 minutes earlier and had then forgotten about it in that space of time because wow. my short term memory just gone. And as I said, strangely enough, I remember that. I think because it shocked me so much, and that was mm. sort of thing. That was like the last day of not having much of a memory, and then it kind of things came back. But yeah, even to, to this day, I I'm, my my memory is appalling, and I think it's because of because of that. So I'm I'm you know I do worry that it will get worse as, as the years go by. But mm, um, hopefully, mm. I'll stop smacking myself in the head these days. <laughs> so obviously, with off the back of that, do you think enough is being done? Uh, or has been done in terms of um, protecting wrestlers and managers and whomever performers, shall we say, in terms of things like concussions 
and and um, injuries and 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 such and like. Because uh, I, I don't think I know a wrestler or a referee or or anyone who performs who's not working through something. You get what I mean? They've got a, a knock or an ache or a this or a that, and they they, they were still working up, obviously before the pandemic hit, but. Mm. Um, do you think there's enough protection there, really, to look after people through injuries and stuff like that? I think it's tricky because with with things like physical injuries, only the person who's got that injury knows how bad it is. And I can understand that you wouldn't want to turn a booking down and get a reputation as being someone who's unreliable. Um, hmm. So I think you know people people will quite often just just work through knocks or even just normalize the fact that you know they've got uh, they've always got aches and pains from mm. matches previous that they've they've had um as far as concussions go i think things have changed a great deal and, and and now if if something went wrong in a match someone was you thought someone was injured and the ref stopped the match i don't think anyone would 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 blame the ref everyone would understand that something's happened and and yeah you could probably then you know have a rematch another time and make actually make a storyline out of it anyway but mm. um i remember a few years ago i was um i was emerg- i was the emergency ref for a show um and one of the guys there very early on took a took a a a, a bump that clearly went wrong and and really you know concussed themselves really badly and I didn't spot it. I think probably my own inexperience because I've barely ever refed before. And mm. I remember they kept sort of saying, they, they weren't necessarily sat doing the same spot over and over. They might've done the same spot twice. And I thought they maybe thought they hadn't hit it properly the first time, but they, they kept saying the same thing. And I think, you know, with hindsight, alarm bells should have rung, but I did ask, you know, are you okay? And they said, yes, but obviously they're, they're blissfully unaware that anything's wrong. Mm. And, um, they went at the end. I remember their match was the last before the interval, and in the interval, they're clear, you can tell from their eyes they're out of it. They didn't remember having the match. They're asking, mm. you know, when are they on? And something's clearly wrong. And you know, we we got them. We we phoned phoned for an ambulance. And then we're told, you know, just to take them ourselves to hospital because it wasn't you know life threatening. But it, it was a Saturday night, and I think they're very busy. But yeah, we basically were a, we were able to take them to the hospital. Um, and I remember then. Um, that that we they weren't allowed to to wrestle for a certain amount of time I can't remember how long now just to make sure they'd recovered from from that concussion and obviously we don't have you know impact testing like they do in America or something um, but you know that may that would probably not have happened a few years ago um, mm-hmm. it remains to be seen obviously without shows happening right now it remains to be seen what what protocols are I think it's I think it, you know it's a similar thing to you know what, going back to what we we're talking about regarding speaking out and stuff it, it's because we're not doing shows at the moment it's it's hard to to see if things have worked or not i think it's yeah. going to take it's going to take something to happen and for how everything reacts after that for for us to know the effectiveness of mm. it so you know if someone does get a bad and obviously you hope this never happens but it, it's probably inevitable it will you know if someone takes a a bad bump and gets knocked out or gets knocked silly that that protocols are, are kept not just for that that match but the aftermath for the welfare of that wrestler mm. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You, we've got to wait and see, but fingers crossed. Like people are taking this time to take stock of, oh, we could have done that a bit better. Mm, we maybe should tighten that up. We should, and and listen, hopefully, to the um, the parliamentary group that's mm. obviously doing a big review on the whole of the Britrest scene to see if there is anything that can be improved and anything that can be standardised and regulated as well. Um, but we've got to wait and see, really, for their um, their findings and their outcome at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I know a, a few promotions have been working with um, with equity, and that mm. yeah, that to me is a great idea because that will help standardise things. Um, mm. You know, there's been a, a, you know an age old debate about gov- you know, the fact that wrestling hasn't got a governing body, and quite often when you're trying to book venues, that is something that venues just can't get their head around that that there isn't any governing body we're all independent no. and we don't answer to anyone but i think you know the I, i'm a i'm a great believer in unions myself anyway and i think if if we um if we have promotions that are affiliated with with equity it isn't a governing body and it's not trying to be a governing body but it is something it's someone who can oversee things to a degree of making sure that that things are, are happening properly and things are being mm. adhered to. Um, but also if, if you get a, thinking back to speaking out, if you get a situation where a promoter or the, the owner of a company who is there for the, you know, like the highest court in the land for that promotion is acting inappropriately, there is somewhere for people to go to, to report those, those concerns because, yep. That's the you know, if I'm if I'm the commentator and I'm acting inappropriately towards you, you can go and tell the promoter about that and I'll be, you know, disciplined, reprimanded, thrown out, whatever it might be. But mm. if I'm the prom- if I'm the promoter and I'm acting inappropriately towards you, who are you gonna tell? Because there's Who'd you go I'm, to? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 the 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 head honcho as such. So mm-hmm. it's good that they're there for that as well, I think. Hundred percent agree with you, hundred percent. So now I'm not 100% certain on the dates on this one, but I know you obviously had your time in your FWA. And yep. then next thing I know, Dean Ayers disappears off the face of the planet in terms of <laughs> in terms of the wrestling scene anyway. You were still around, but just not really with wrestling. Yep. And then obviously you came back um, with RQW, 1PW, uh, IPW, um, and a few other promotions then. But you did take a bit of a hiatus from yeah. BritRess. Um was it just a case of I need a break, I need an out, or, or, or what happened? What, what was the reason for the step away? Um, in a way, yeah. I mean, I, I think in in hindsight, it was a terrible move to 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 make. Um, but my yeah, my mental health was absolutely terrible at that point in time. Basically, um, is the short mm. answer. Um, I but I got. I got married in 2004 and divorced in 2005. Um, and after that, I sort of threw myself into wrestling to a give myself something to do and also pay some bills and things like that. Um, and then I got sort of, I got so too far into it to the point that it was literally every weekend was, con- it was consuming things. And, yeah. um, and then I was like being invited for, things you know for, for you know weddings funerals christenings all that sort of thing and i couldn't make a lot of them because i was booked on a show and that was sort of you know i didn't i, I felt bad about that um 
and then I think the, the break the breaking point was actually when I when I was became booker for RQW because mm. I was trying to do that and do a full time job at the same time and 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 so your like your weekends are you're trying to just sort of recover and you're just getting bombarded with with people wanting to get booked by you um yeah calling you send and it's, I just couldn't switch off from it and then um you'd also have you know people at shows being nice to you and you're thinking well you know you're you're probably just being nice to me because you wanted to you want to get a job and so you get more and more paranoid about that and mm. um and yeah it, I just um I, I just sort of thought no I need to get away from this um and so um, under you know sort of as as a bad choice, I suppose, I thought that the answer was was stepping away from wrestling. Um and then um let me try and think of the timeline there as well then. So yeah, I basically yeah, I I didn't really go to any shows or anything like that for a couple of years. I think it was like 2008 to 2010-ish. Mm. And then what actually changed was when Andre passed away. Um, cause I mean, mm. I was, yeah, I was, I, I was, I didn't have anything, anything to do with the wrestling and, and actually my, my mental health got worse because I didn't have anything to do basically. Um, and then yeah, Andre passed away. Um, and I realized that I hadn't kept in touch with him, which was, 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 you know, terrible, terrible thing, but it was just one that, you know, it's one of those things life gets, I guess life gets in the way. And, um, and I kind of decided then to um, to go to where was it now? I think it might have been Sittingbourne or somewhere for yes. um, IPW before the split and Rev Probe came about. But I remember mm-hmm. I went to a couple of um, a couple of Sittingbourne shows just to kind of say hello to people and reconnect with people because I realised I don't want to lose touch with people again. And and from there, just from going to shows, it then things built up and um, and then I was asked if I would, I think it was you know, MCing a couple of shows and, and it all went from, it all went from there. I mean, mm-hmm. I think in, in the, in that that off time the only thing i was doing in wrestling was literally two or three times a year working as a heel manager for premier in 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 my home county of um sussex yeah no premier promotions is a unique promotion i'm gonna say (laughs) unique i'm not saying that as a bad thing um it's an institution it is an institution it very much is an institution um We'll move, we'll go on to that in a moment, but I'm going to remember another thing, um, which was when one of my favorite memories is one of my favorite photos of you, actually. It's you and the late Stu Allen, yeah. Uh, you two as a commentary team for Dragon Gate, is that picture from Dragon Gate? Um, of the two of you, um, obviously, you moved into commentary as well, I was around. Well, you started, you were going to obviously originally going to do commentary with the FWA, but you sort of, you're now sort of, other than Premier Promotions, um, you, your main, yeah, Gib now is, is a colour commentator to the stars, <laughs> shall I say. And, um, you and Stu is one of my favorite partnerships, and obviously now you and Ricky Slatter as well, yeah. Um, how, how is commentary as, as from, being a manager and obviously being an MC and uh, and obviously doing a few matches, 
How is that as as a role? I love it. I absolutely love it because, um, yes, you're not kind of performing out there as you would in a manager role, but Hmm. um, it's such good fun. It's such good fun because I can – I can, you know, like, like as a manager, I can say things that you couldn't ever possibly get away with saying in the real world. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you can, you know, you can add insight into a, into a match. Um, and, you know, the great, the best thing is when I get feedback from people at the show saying, oh, I listened to the commentary of my match and you made it sound so good and it, is, it, it really helped help things and it's one of those strange strange sort of ironies that if a match is really good the commentary will make it even better because you're feeling how good the match is and your natural enthusiasm comes through Mm. and if a match sucks it is really difficult because you're kind of sat there in silence thinking what the hell do I say here so Mm. I think where you're talking a lot that's where you know the match is is good and obviously the job for for us is to try and and make the 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 not so good matches sound better um Mm. but yeah Stu Stu was fantastic because he had that niche knowledge of Dragon Gate which I didn't have Mm. um but I could, you know, any any good commentator, if the wrestlers are worth their salt, could should be able to come into a, um, come into a match with people they don't know and be able to to tell the story of the match from what the, they're doing. There, um, I had this recently with I did a guest commentary slot for um for Rev Pro with one of their um epic encounters closed door you know, empty arena shows where I was commentating with Andy Quilden. Now he knows all about the stories and the backstory mm. of everyone. So he took care of that bit. I'm just looking at what's happening in the ring and telling the story of the match as I'm seeing it. Mm. Um, and I was able to do that because the, the guys in the ring were able to tell the story properly. So it's, mm. it's great fun. Um, and, you know, sometimes with, with, with Ricky, sometimes, yeah, he'll say to me, oh, if you were managing this person, what would, what would you be advising them to do? And, mm. you know, sometimes it would be, I'll take them to the mat and sometimes it'd be poke them in the eye or something like that. It's, yeah. It all depends on the situation, but um the commentary with Stu was more serious because it was a you know, proper serious Japanese promotion. So you don't have so much of the face heel dynamic, but with, with IPW and going forward with, with fight nation, you know, you, it can be a lot more characterful and, and, and Ricky's the perfect outraged foil for, for when I'm spouting off about something. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I loved working with Stu and I got on really well with Stu outside as well. And, you know, at what, when, when he, he passed away suddenly, it was absolutely devastating. And, mm-hmm. and um, um, you know, I was one of a handful of people who went over to Northern Ireland for his, his funeral and, and, and the turnout uh, bear in mind that there was literally about 10 people from wrestling the turnout from from his for for his funeral outdrew lots of shows i've worked mm. on you know loads of people there um and you know I, I i never i never thought i would find sort of another commentary partner that i clicked with like like Stu. but i've certainly found that with ricky i love working with him and i can't wait to pick things up with him again That'd be brilliant. Can't wait. I can't wait. So I, I do love, I do love listening to you and Ricky and you and Stu were just a, a pair as well. It, it was, you, you could tell when a commentary team gels and um, 
obviously I've heard you with other other people as well, but in particular you and Ricky and you and Stu, you just gel and you can it's you 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 ying to the yang, shall we say, up to each other yeah. and it just it just works. Yeah, I mean the great thing with Stu was obviously he had that broad Northern Irish accent, so you mm. can immediately tell us apart. Um, and and even I mean Ricky's from down south like me, but even him, you know, his voice is very different to mine. So you mm. uh, you know that's the one of the keys is that and I think this is sometimes where WWE falls down a bit in that everyone sound you don't want people sounding too similar because sometimes yeah. I'll as much as like people criticise Jerry Lawler. Um, you know, you, you you immediately know that Jerry Lawler's talking or Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone or whoever. You, you, you've got those distinctive voices. So if I listen to AEW, I know when Excalibur's talking or when if it's Taz and he's talking, you know who they are because they all sound very different. Yeah, definitely, 100%. So we mentioned them before, but Premier Promotions, mm. down in uh, Worthing in particular. So for those who don't know Premier Promotions, Premier Promotions is a promotion that has been running since about... 87. 1987. 1987. So it's the only promotion, I believe, in the UK which is still running under traditional British rounds. Um, To be honest with you, I actually enjoy the shows and the rounds matches isn't you're not sort of talking about two guys in plain trunks just doing tech for you know six five minute rounds or whatever it's it's used in a way to tell a story as well and um use a good psychology in matches so it's worth if you are down there it will be different um to go check them out and they've got a very unique character. I'm going to say unique in the name of John Fremantle, their promoter. Now, bless John, bless him. He's he's a sweet, sweet old man now. Um, but how did the whole? Obviously, I assume you went to some shows, and that's how you ended up then in turn talking well, to John. There's, and there's um, yeah, there's a there's a story there. I mean, I yeah, I. I was I was at that first show in 1987 in Hove Town Hall as a fan. I went to loads and loads of shows that John promoted in in Hove and Worthing and elsewhere as a fan. Um, and so he 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 and I knew knew each other, and yeah, we we uh, already. Um, but he he didn't book managers because the thing the thing with John is he is his renowned uh how can i put this diplomatically he's renowned as a keeper of the purse strings should we say very much um expenses to the penny and you know yes, stuff like that but, but but to be fair to him that's how he's lasted all that time you know 100%. People, you you've got to you, you've got to manage manage your business tightly and he does that um so um he never ever had a manager um because it was just an additional expense so um there was uh he he has had over the years a couple of people try and sort of muscle in on his territory and whereas i, I know wrestling these days a lot of the promotions go all over the place um like i mean you know fight nation tends and ipw tended to be kent but then they went up to milton Keynes, and you've got progressor in london and then they moved around the place and rev pro go all over the country a bit as well but John's very much like, you know, territory. So like one of the, re- there are many reasons I've never promoted a show, but one of them is that, they, you know, my locality is run by 
premier, and I wouldn't want to tread on on in on John's toes. But there there is um there was a guy called the UK Kid. I don't think he's around still, as far as I'm aware. But um who was promoting? He had a company called VPW um, mm. that I did a few um, shows for managing a uh, managing a young rookie by the, who who I saw great potential in called Joel Redmond. Whatever happened to him, eh? What um, to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um and basically um tom to give to give him his name tom had booked hove town hall mm. um on the same night that john had promoted had got a show in in um in worthing and this was the time that i was booking um rqw and um i remember um len davis who ran rqw mm. um Len and I having a pint in the pub after a, a show, after a recording of something. And and he, I think he'd been working alongside John for a bit, or some of his guys were were on on there. And and he basically said, um, do you think you could not take that booking? And I explained, well, yeah, I've always wanted to work Hove Town Hall. It's one of the places I grew up watching it and mm. so on. And and basically, um, what they brokered a deal about was that they would get Martin Stone to come in as the RQW heavyweight champion with me as his manager representing RQW. And he would defend the belt against, I think it was James Ty. Mm. Um, and so I was like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do that then. So um, I, I basically respectfully canceled the booking with, with UK kid. He was fine with that. Never booked me again, but I think the promotion went under a little while anyway. Um, and so myself and Martin Stone became a, a double act in premiere and got mm. phenomenal heat. Um, and I, I basically um, was then able to jump to, to sell t- some tickets to people I work with and people I knew in the, the local area. And so it's, yeah, it's something that up until the pandemic obviously was still happening that, you know, John would give me a, bunch of tickets to sell and i would sell them to work colleagues and friends and that and and i, I you know i'd probably pay me in that respect pay my mm. own way because it would make money from the ticket sales so everyone everyone's happy but um yeah so that has been yeah i think that's been since 2007 that's been we've been doing mm. things so started off with martin stone which was the most heat i've ever known in my life um we had one match where john who acts as the ring announcer um I think it took him literally five minutes to be able to introduce us because the crowd was like shouting at us so much. And then we needed four, we needed four people from um, the venue staff to escort us to the back whilst they threw litter at us. So wow. um, yeah, that was great heat. And then I met, then I worked with uh, Danny Garnell till he then um, finished. Uh, I think I did a few matches with Rob Cage. And then more recently, um, I've been with your friend and mine, Aisha, uh, Amazon mm. Aisha Raymond, which is great fun. And um, another um, female uh, wrestler by the name of Astrid the Viking, who has a great look and is um, she's reasonably new to things, but she's uh, she's fantastic. Excellent. For the love of a better phrase, it's still real. It's still real in Worthing. Oh, it, God, it, yes. It's absolutely, they really get into it there and they, boom, like the whole predetermined, nope, that's out the window. That's, it, it is a unique crowd in the oven. It's a, it's yeah. a laugh, 
Trust me, go sit in the audience and listen to it if, you, if you've never been. If you're down the South Coast, go don't check Premier Promotions out when they're running. Um, but down the, sit in the audience and just it's, you've gone back to the 70s is the best way yeah. I could describe it. You know, it's Absolutely. So special. It's, it's, it's unique. And, um, and the weird thing is that like some of these fans who are the ones who like get right up in your face and confront you are nice as pies you afterwards. Yeah. Just in yeah. the moment. They're lost in the moment. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Which so, is our job. Move, We've done our job well. Done your job. Exactly. It's brilliant. It's excellent. So we'll move on um, to, obviously, you're on my podcast this week, but you do run your yes. own podcast because WCW with the lovely Liam. Um, how, how did that come about? And um, tell, tell our viewers a little bit about that. Um, well, we, we basically, um, we look over... Uh, old WCW shows. Um, it's, it's a real labor of love for us both. It, it's, it started um, when we did the, uh, the, the other thing, the other pie I have my thumb in is uh, Hooked on Wrestling, uh, which mm. obviously is well known to you because uh, of uh, Mr. Hatch's involvement as among many, many other things, referee in the weekly, uh, the weekly Sunday night quiz. Yes. Um, <laughs> But um, when we did the Bruce Pritchard tour, which yes. I'm sure you remember fondly. Um, oh, yeah. Rob still doesn't let me live that down. <laughs> so um, our hate-hate relationship began from there. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that last night um, in London, Liam was yeah. one who came along. Um, I think he, he might have been, I can't remember if we had him as press because he did. He, he's a sports journalist by trade. Mm. Anyway, he came along. Um at the end of the night comes up to me um, having had a few beers and, and he's like, I've got this idea to do a podcast. And I'm like, what's that? Mm. Goes, you love WCW, don't you? Like, yeah. And we like, right, let's do this like niche podcast because we said there was, you know, there were so many podcasts out there, but we couldn't see that many or, or many that, that, that catered to, to looking at just at WCW. Mm. So the, so we launched it in September, 2017. We're still going now. And basically the idea is we will um, review a, a pay-per-view um, normally with a, with a guest. Um, and we've had all manner of people from all over the world recently in, in, over the years. Um, we're, we're queuing up hatch for one very shortly, I'm sure. Um, but um, and we'll, we'll get you on as, as well. We, we're the, we uh, we still have got tons and tons of pay per views that we haven't covered yeah. yet, um, but um, yeah, we'll we'll either review a pay per view or the other thing that we do is um, we we look at we do a watch along of Nitro, um, which we start we we do in chronological order. So um, we've literally just had um, Scott Hall turn up and Kevin Nash. In fact, the last watch along we did was where Kevin Nash says, "Look at the check out the adjective play." Um, so, so yeah, we just take a, a look at that, not taking ourselves or itself too seriously either. But mm. it's, it's great fun because I was a, such a big WCW fan at the at the time, and and um, it's great to look over some of these things, and also remember the things that you remember and the things that you completely forgot, and then ask yourself yeah. why you were, why is that? Um, that was my really love into wrestling. Like if you if you think of it, like um, like back in the day when it was. Um, when it was on Cartoon Network and Cartoon Network then Ooh. turned into TNT, TNT afterwards on the old old cable, on the old Nyrex cable where it became NTL, you know, it was Ooh. like that was that was my that was my reintroduction into wrestling, watching those old nitros uh, uh, like 
back to back and like you saying about Nash and Hall and that all turning up. I was like, yeah, I remember those. I remember watching them in my, my bedroom sort of late at night. Yeah, because we we did one Nitro watch along where we it, something clicked in our heads and we're like, this was the first one that was on on TNT in the UK, wasn't mm. it? Because we remembered these events happening. Yeah, and before mm. then, you'd watch things on DSF, the German sports TV channel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Deutsche Sport Fernsehen, isn't it? Yeah, but um, so so it's yeah, it's it's great fun and and as time has gone on, um, we've yeah we we get various other WCW special places that tag us in posts and tweets and stuff and and um yeah we've over the last six months or so I think we've we've doubled our average listenership as well, which is That's really good. good. Yeah, so it's it's really yeah it's it's gaining good momentum. So yeah, we're on on Twitter at because WCW or Facebook.com forward slash because WCW. So yeah, give us a give us a follow and yeah, we're on all the various platforms for podcasts. So yeah, you know, subscribe to us. Excellent stuff. Excellent can. stuff. Make sure that's in your in your favourites, boys and girls. If you're a fan of WCW and you want to relive it, make sure you listen to Because WCW with the lovely Dean Ayers and the lovely Leon Hat. Like that would be awesome for us. Um, and we met, we mentioned Hooked on Hooked on Wrestling dot uh, Great little website, news website yep. um, for all the latest wrestling news uh, and media out there. And if you want to go and abuse Rob McNichol, which is one of my favourite <laughs> things to do on a Sunday night, it's a great pastime. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great pastime. Um, check them out on Facebook on their weekly quiz that they do, uh, 8 p.m. on a Sunday night. It's nothing better to do in lockdown, really. So just go and abuse Rob and maybe win a T-shirt while you're at it. So that's yeah. always cool. So, Dean, before we go, what are you working on? What's coming soon for you in 2021, hopefully, with everything going on with lockdown? Um, and what is your one hope for British wrestling in year 2021? Um Things that I'm working there, there, there are a couple of things in the pipeline that I can't, I can't yet talk about because they may or may not come to fruition. But um, what I, what I am doing is, um, Fight Nation um, Wrestling is is relaunching this year, um, and I will be, as as we mentioned, I'll be commentating on on that um, with Ricky, um, and also. Um, you and I and Mr. Hatch and a few others are, are on the the Fight Nation Wrestling Committee that you see listed at the bottom of the press releases. So basically, we are we are kind of looking after things as a as a group um, regarding you know how not not the creative side of things but the the business side of things. So like we've drawn various policies up for safeguarding and and the way that um people are booked and just the way that people are looked after and, and i think you know what i i think we're we're all hopeful that th- this will make british wrestling a bit more professional and a bit more accountable um and more of a business than a than a pastime i guess um mm. so doing that um i i believe premiere will be back as soon as they're able to and so um i'll be back working for for them carrying on doing um the because wcw podcast because as we say right now in lockdown it's a golden age for podcasting um so i'll be doing that and, and my hope for british wrestling is sort of as i just just said there really is that we we learn from what's happened in the past um we don't tr- and and i think it's also important that we don't try and erase it because mm. you know the you look at you look at people who um 
who try and erase history and they they're generally the madcap de- despot dictators and people like that and you yeah you don't want that what you want to do is acknowledge um acknowledge the good things and the bad things from your history and and learn from both because you learn from the good stuff and you learn from the bad stuff and and as we mm. established earlier we never stop learning so um you know we 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 just make we make it easier for people to to report and feel comfortable reporting any any misdemeanors any bad stuff that's going on we we make everyone more accountable we make everyone more professional mm, i don't know the philosopher who said it or the person who said it but the the, the phrase that keeps bringing around my head is if you do not learn from your history you are doomed, you're doomed to, repeat to repeat it, it. yes indeed exactly so it's definitely i completely agree we've got to learn from what our mistakes and just improve improve as people and as a business and for everybody and everything involved in it. So Dean, show yourself. Where can people find you on the old social medias if you want them to find you on the old social medias? Um, my uh, twi- um, Facebook is just for for my like real life friends and such. So the one that um, thing that I have that's open to everybody is my Twitter, which is at Dean Ayers. So at D E A N A Y A S, where you'll get a mixture of wrestling related tweets. Uh, despair or relation at Ipswich Town and the occasional um, political rant. So uh, approach with caution. And yes. Also, consumer champion Dean Ayers. If you ever got <laughs> someone's annoying <laughs> yes. you, consumer champion Dean Ayers. He's your man to go speak to. So that's that's fun. That's always fun to watch when you, you're in a debate with a company. Oh yes, never underestimate the power of complaining on Twitter. It does wonders. <laughs> excellent stuff dean it's been a pleasure thank you so much for your time um thank you for having me sarah good luck with the uh with future uh, episodes of this podcast it's great stuff excellent thank you very much how about that guys i did warn you dean had a couple of stories and i didn't even manage to get in the story there and i beat him at cards against humanity now those who know dean know his humor so that might say a little bit about my humour as well. So I, I hope you don't think any worse of me after that, but still. Um, but definitely, if you do get an opportunity to speak to Dean at a show, um, ask him to watch your match, ask him to look at your referee and ask him to look at what you're doing. And he'd be more than happy to give you guys advice and to, you know, help you on your journey, shall we say, of wrestling. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you do enjoy this episode, do go give us a tip. Do make sure you subscribe or follow we're on all the social medias at SuplexPod, S-U-E-P-L-E-X-P-O-D. And coming soon, we'll also have our brand new website. Ooh, I've been working on that in the background. That's why I've been a busy girl this week. But I'll let you go. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday if you are listening to this on Sunday. And I will see you here next week with another edition of the Suplex Podcast. <laughs>